All right, this is our second week of short stories with Jesus as we look at the parables and what they mean for us today. This is a particularly short story among the short stories. Uh, It starts in Matthew 13, verse 31. It's two verses long. It is a story about a mustard plant. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the fields, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. So I'm sure that you're well aware of the conflicts in the biblical interpretive circles um, about the finer points of this parable and, and what the hearer is supposed to hear Uh, I'm sure you've been a part of the theological argument about whether, in fact, the mustard seed is the smallest seed, and since it's not, did the gospel writer or Jesus know that it wasn't? I'm sure you've had debates around the dinner table more than once about whether the notion of calling a mustard plant a tree was an agronomical error or if it was just uh, a subversion for the sake of the story. Um, And should the tree represent an empire? And if it does, which empire is it? That's an important question to ask. Um, I'm sure you've also gotten into just heated arguments with folks about whether the birds Jesus is referring to are the like good, beautiful, singing, venerated uh, uh, birds that Jesus speaks of elsewhere, or if they should have a a foreboding, sinister Alfred Hitchcock sort of uh, meaning to them. Um, sure you've thought about all of that a lot. Uh, And I'm sure you have because um, that's what all of the commentaries I read this week were very concerned about. Um, And so uh, I'm sorry to say I have no answers on any of that for you. Um, I don't don't know what to tell you. Um, All of that may be relevant. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, to be honest with you. And uh, some of that may even be preachable by somebody who's smarter than me. Um, But but today I want to consider the contrast of great and small. Um, And I want to consider the outcome that grows slowly with time. Those are the two things that I want to talk about. Um, In fact, we'll see some of these same themes, same ideas in our parable for next week um, when we talk about uh, yeast and flour. But uh, for today, let's dive into this story. The kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, Many uh, of the scriptures that are parables, particularly in Matthew, begin with this phrase, either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. For Matthew, uh, those two phrases are interchangeable. So they they mean absolutely nothing different from one another. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's the same exact thing. Um, In fact, um, many people, uh, commentators would say that the the, the switching between is often because in the Jewish context to which Matthew was writing and which Jesus was primarily speaking, uh, often you did not say the name of the divine. You wouldn't have said kingdom of God. So, so heaven there is just like a substitute for that. Furthermore, um, when we hear the, the phrase heaven, we often think of something that is up or, or out or beyond. Um, and, and that would have been a, a bit anathema to Jesus' thinking. So this isn't a, a kingdom that exists somewhere else. It's not about something that is, that is beyond or a different location. Instead, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like the reign of God, the, the presence, the, the, um, uh, the, the lordship of God or the sovereignty or the, the rolling, uh, ruling power. And so um, uh, when, when we hear these phrases, what it's talking about is, is to say living under the lordship or the reign of God is like this. The kingdom, remember, Jesus says, is at hand. 
it gets him in trouble right at the beginning of his ministry that he says that. But, but for, for Jesus, and, and particularly in Matthew's gospel, when we hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and we will hear that over and over again as the parables uh, uh, often start that way, it's about the ever-present, ever-inviting, ever-expanding work of the holy in our midst. So the parable continues, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the field. Now, this is not an unusual practice. While mustard plants can sometimes be invasive, they, they have their purpose, uh, beyond just hot dogs and burgers, by the way. Uh, Amy Jill Levine talks about Pliny the Elder, who's a Roman naturalist, a, about a contemporary or so uh, to Jesus, who calls mustard extremely beneficial for health, including treatment for snake and scorpion bites, toothache, indigestion, asthma, epilepsy, and on and on and on. So mustard has its purpose, and it has its use, and it's a well-known plant. This wasn't some foreign thing that, that Jesus' audience was unfamiliar with. It's also noted for its taste, and it's noted for how rapidly it grows. That is one unique feature of the mustard plant, is that it grows up very, very quickly. And so uh, it's not unusual to think that in an agra agrarian society, somebody would have gone out and sowed mustard seeds. That was a part of day-to-day -day life. And this uh, points us to something that is is important to remember uh, when we talk about the parables. Jesus is often comparing uh, the kingdom of God or something that we struggle to wrap our minds around to something that's very tangible, physical, uh, that's relatable, that we can understand. Jesus is often uh, using everyday common elements to make some grander point. We in the Methodist Church, we have two sacraments. We have communion that we share in every week, and we have baptism. And, and one of the things that's particularly amazing to me is that both of those sacraments use very, very basic elements. Bread, a, a central piece of, of the diet, of the sustenance of life for, for everybody uh, in one form or another, almost everybody uh, around the world. It's a, a basic way that people stay alive. And, and juice uh, is something that's very familiar. Familiar. It's not hard to come by. Water is the most abundant natural resource available. And, and somehow, by the work of God, those plain everyday things have significance. Jesus, in his teaching and his parables, is using plain everyday things and giving them a different significance and meaning that we might understand concepts that are difficult to wrap our heads around. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in their field. It is the smallest of all the seeds. Now, this is what mustard seeds look like. I've never actually done this in a sermon before, so I thought I would go find it, and I spilled a lot of them on the second floor. I don't think anyone will notice. Um, they're very, very small. Um, I tried to clean them up. It, was, it did not work. Um, they live in the carpet now. Anyway, they're very, very small. I, I believe, and I... Um, the band saw me actually trying to count some earlier. I got a couple of weird looks, but I believe there's approximately 15,000 mustard, seed, mustard seeds per ounce, um, which means there would be uh, somewhere uh, around 34,000 mustard seeds in here. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but the point is they are very small. They are also not the smallest. Uh, we're aware of that, but 
they are insignificant in appearance. And I think that's a central part of what Jesus is trying to get at. Um, these seeds also wouldn't have been very expensive because mustard plants grow up uh, very rapidly and they are used in day-to-day life, but they're not used in great quantity. Uh, the mustard seed doesn't have uh, a great amount of significance or price or cost associated with it. It's very sort of standard, uh, normal. It's not um, um, luxurious or something that only the wealthy have. And I think that's a part of what Jesus is getting at. That's a part of why this is used is because it's not something that's thought about much. It's not something that's valued that much. It's completely missable. And I think that's a part of this is that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven oftentimes is very missable and yet it's in our presence. I think another piece of it is, is what is true with any seed and that is that within this, this, tiny little, this tiny little speck here, there exists the possibility of an entire tree to grow up or, or a bush really. But there is a, 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 a significance within it that we often don't see when we first look. Uh, we can look uh, over or we can look past, um, but, but we often sort of miss the possibility of what lies within. And, and we do that in life as well, that we often look past the possibility of what will come or what will be, and we get frustrated if it doesn't happen fast enough. One of my favorite uh, verses in all the scripture is Zechariah 4.10. Uh, the, the NLT translates, like, translates it like this. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And oftentimes, friends, I think that we discard, we, dismean, we, we demean, we, we dismiss, we look past the small beginnings. We, we, just, we just sort of go past them. If, if, we, if we can't figure out something new, if we're not immediately experts, then we get frustrated about it. If we can't see uh, uh, what, what we thought we were investing in come to fruition as quickly as we wanted, uh, we get upset and we, we have a tendency to walk away. What's interesting is I wrote down the, um, in my notes uh, this reference to Zechariah 4.10 several weeks ago, and uh, to my knowledge, I believe that the first time that I ever uh, talked about this and the last time that I ever talked about uh, this scripture in the context of common grace uh, was at our very first preview service. And it was interesting to me that, that Zechariah 4.10 came up this week um, as we're announcing this change. Um, I'm not sure what to do with that, but, but I, I, I think back to whatever was in my mind and maybe some of your minds that week, and, and it's just interesting to see where it is that we are as a common grace community right now. We'll come back to that idea in just a few minutes, but let's continue on. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. From these tiny things grow something great. From our small beginnings come beautiful futures. From our fits and starts become blessings and bounty. Perhaps even from the rocky past comes an invitation to an inviting rest. While calling a mustard bush a tree is a bit of a stretch, they do grow quite expansively. In fact, one interesting thing is that they often grow wider, substantially wider, 
uh, than they do tall. And so they are something that provides shade. That's true. One commentator, Eugene Boring, says, um, what's interesting, though, about this, this calling the mustard bush a tree is that it is intended to be a little bit absurd. That's what he thinks, that Jesus is trying to say something that, that is a little bit ridiculous. So if you've ever seen a, 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 a drawing of like a, a farmer, this is what he compares it to, who has a flatbed truck and has a has a tomato that's grown the size of a flatbed truck, of course that's ridiculous and that, that can't happen. And he says, in essence, that's what Jesus is doing by calling this a tree. It's meant to be a bit absurd. It's an image that would stick in somebody's mind to, 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 to promote a, a mustard bush about this tall and call it a tree. And yet, there's a purpose to it. So, so Jesus is, is talking about it growing up into this bush, into this large plant or tree, and oftentimes I've gotten caught up in that, but I think there's something more, and this week as I was getting ready, it was this part of the text that really caught my mind and my eye, and so I want to read the whole uh, two verses again to you and, and then talk about this last part that I think is significant. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches." Notice the, the, the so that in the text, so that any time in the scripture that you read a so that or a therefore, uh, as, you're, as you're going through, that should sort of snap you to attention. It says that whatever is about to come is important, and it's building on what's already been said. And sometimes a therefore will come after like a whole chapter or two chapters, and it will say therefore. And in essence, all of that points to this reality. Sometimes the scripture will, will have uh, this story, this setup, and it will say all of this happens so that X, Y, Z. We do well to turn our ears and our minds on to focus in when we read a so that in the scripture. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a small, missable, insignificant seed that grows into a bush, into a tree, so that it provides refuge for birds of the air, so that it provides a safe space, so that it provides a landing place. What's interesting for me is that the whole story is actually about this. And I've, I've read these two verses probably hundreds of times in my life, and I've never really paid much attention to the end of it. But it's the whole thrust of the story. All of it is going to the so that, uh, to, to draw your attention right here. It's, it's not about the progression from uh, small to large, from, from um, in, in, um, unnoticeable to, to unmissable. That, that's, that's important, but it's about what happens at the end of it. The kingdom of heaven is like a tree that provides shelter and shade for birds of the air. It even provides a sense of home, a refuge, and a respite. And that got me thinking this week. I wonder if you and I, who, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who believe that God's kingdom is, is sprouting up here and now around us, is taking form even as we speak, who believe that we're invited to help others experience the kingdom of heaven, I wonder if you and I experience that truth, if we practice that, that in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, we find some level of rest. Is that true for you and I? that we find a respite in our faith and in our God and our community as imperfect an expression as it can be? 
Is that the place that we turn for refuge and for respite? When things go awry, when we find ourselves worn out, where is it that we look? I was reflecting on that this week, and I was thinking about uh, uh, one summer I was overseas, and, and it was, it was uh, particularly hot, and we were in the middle of what felt like a desert. And I remember just in the middle of the afternoon being exhausted and finding myself sitting under a tree, under the shade, and how just a few moments out of the sun uh, beating on us, all of a sudden, like, brought such a sense of relief and such a sense of energy to face the rest of the day. Even just a few minutes of respite, of refuge, a few minutes to be called out of the chaos can make a big difference. And that's what I thought about when Jesus talks about this tree providing a a place where, where birds find shelter. I wondered if the same might be true for us. And if so, what are the things in the world that, that, that leave us scorched or burned? Is it our work and what's demanded of us? Is it, is it our self-doubt and what we deem we lack? Is it our family and the challenge of navigating healthy relationships? Is it community relationships or politics or the distrust that we have for one another? Is it a feeling of uncertainty about what the future holds? What are the things that, that tend to, to make us feel weary and exhausted And what does it look like for the church then to provide respite for that, for each one of us? I think it's about us individually, but I also think it's about us as a community. Jesus is preaching to people, and Matthew is writing to people who will coalesce and form a community, who will commit to doing life together and looking different from the culture that is around them, and they will become known as the church. They are the people who are our forebearers, and like us, they're called to live life in community and different. They will be, as we've already said, an outpost or a signpost, though imperfect, of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand that Jesus comes to inaugurate and to speak about. So, If the first question is is whether we turn to our faith uh, as God um, providing a respite for us, I think the second question is how we do that as a community for others. How is it that we provide a space for those perhaps who feel most vulnerable, who feel most um, uh, like, like they're getting scorched or burned? How is it that we provide shade and shelter for them? What does it look like to reach out to people who are most in need and as a call to be a part of the kingdom of God to allow them to find rest? in what has taken root in the midst of our community? What does it look like for us as a church to provide a space like that? What would it look like for us to move towards that more intentionally in the future? So I told you that that the last time I remember that Zechariah text was from that very beginning. And I wonder if that's the community that that we're coming into, that we're continuing to be called to be that we would allow God to work in our midst so that others might come and find a safe place and a welcome and a place to explore their faith when it may have not felt safe before. That's part of the invitation of the church. John uh, Endermark wrote a book called Parables and Passion. And by the way, I'm going to encourage you to pick up a copy of this through Lent and to follow along. It's a devotional, and he has these really, really beautiful thoughts uh, all about parables uh, that will take you all the way through the season of Lent. And I've been reading along, and I really, really enjoy it. I'll, I'll have a few copies, but if you want to get one online, I would encourage you to do that. He, he talks about this parable, and he says this uh, when he describes what the church should be like. Uh, we look for folks who need a place of shade, 
the church needs to be attentive to those whose bodies and spirits without the shelter of community might be left vulnerable in a world only too eager to let others fend for themselves. And then he says, this is the tricky part. We need to offer such nurturing community that embodies the gracious hospitality of God's sovereign realm. And I think that is a beautiful depiction of what the church is called to be. For Jesus, this was a daily practice. His invitation to the outcast and the lonely, to the discarded and the looked past, uh, was the embodiment of the, the purpose behind these words. And it seemed like wherever he went, he called to himself those who were weary and worn and who were wanting in the world, those who were discarded and looked past and forgotten about. He continued to welcome them. I, I think of those words. I said them in the prayer. We sang them in a song earlier. That invitation that Jesus offers in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. He did that over and over and over again. If we are to be his hands and feet, we ought to do the same thing. So as I wrap up, I, I want to say that I, I spent a lot of time trying to think of an illustration of this. Like, what does this look like in our day-to-day -day lives? And it was um, just before I recorded this week that, that these words, this, this, this image came to me. And it was, it was about the center of grace. And, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of the center of grace, but, but this church used to be over on Harrison Street it is where we gathered on Sunday mornings. And then we built this building with the intention of, of selling, of getting rid of that building. And it turned out that nobody wanted it. Um, we basically couldn't give it away. And so it was sort of looked over and looked past and undervalued and, and it only remained because no one else wanted to take it. And what happened a few years later is that some folks said, hey, what if we serve some meals out of there? And they did that for a bit. And then all of a sudden, uh, the state of the nation got a little bit more chaotic and a lot of people found themselves uh, without money and, and jobs that they had had before. And all of a sudden, that began to blossom into a hub of community activity and missions and service. And over the years, it's become a respite and a safe place for countless of the most vulnerable in our community, in our area. It happens in meals and hygiene kits. It happens in immigration services in the medical supply loan closet. It happens in clothes and, and housing goods and computer education and preschool for ESL students. It happens for hundreds of kids a year through the Boys and Girls Club. And it's a beautiful image because it was something that, that was really ready to be discarded and gotten rid of. And then for a while it sat with a question mark and now it has become this beautiful place of respite and refuge for some of the most vulnerable among us. Here's what I want to encourage us to do is not simply to let that be a beautiful image that we applaud and say, man, that's wonderful. I want it to be a beautiful invitation. I want us to think about how the small seeds of faith, of trust, of grace that have been sowed in and by and within and around you will come to shelter those who are weary in the world. I want you to think about how you're able to lend a part of who you are to nurture those in need that you know. Let's take a few moments for reflection.